Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Amen. All right. Good morning, River Valley. Everybody good? Hey, the first service, they clapped, so I was like, yeah, I always get clapping at the first, never at the end. So here we go. All right, everybody good? All right, here we go. I, uh, it's, uh, uh, Frank and, and Micah are down here, and, and their children were down here, AJ and Avery, and, and AJ got baptized, and they're my community group. They're part of our family, uh, so I feel like, you know, somebody in my family got got baptized today. That's, ah, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's so exciting. Uh, go ahead and be turning your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter has written the word, uh, this letter to the churches in Asia Minor because persecution is coming to them. And so he wants them to be prepared. He wants them to know that it's coming. He doesn't know what it is, but he knows that it's coming. The Lord has told him and how to be prepared for it. So you and I have this application of the book of 1 Peter of like, okay, bad times are coming, whether that's, you know, for all of us or for you as an individual or you as a family, hard times are coming. So what do we need to do to prepare? So the first, uh, the first uh, chapters up to this have been really laying forth a foundation of who Christ is and what he does in our life and how that that should help us to think and act correctly. It's very important that you have the foundation of Jesus in your life as Lord to empower you to do the things that you need to do because today is really switching and today is all focused on what do you do? What do you do to prepare to actually get ready for persecution that's coming your way? And so you and I today can look at this and, okay, how do we get ready for the bad times in our life? What are some of the practical things that we can do? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and forth in this text several times, so keep your Bible open. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. So I want to talk about the condition of which they find themselves in. The condition that they find themselves in is they are about to go through persecution and the world's going to be watching. It's fairly easy to give God praise and glory when everything is going well in your life. But what about when hard times come? What about when persecution comes? He's going to teach us in a little bit, even when it's, it's unjustified. How do we act then? The world is watching. I love what Peter says here because it's so countercultural. Let's be honest. If you and I were writing a book right now about how to get ready for hard times— This is what the Texas version would look like. Number one, go to Sam's and Walmart, buy as much beans and rice as you can. Number two, go get extra locks on your doors. Number three, it's always a good time to buy another gun and more ammo. And we're going to get ready for all the bad people that are coming. We're going to have plenty of food. We're going to have plenty of water. We're going to have plenty of guns. We're going to board it. We're going to keep the bad people out. That's not what he says here. He says the exact opposite. Make sure that you're thoughtful about lost people when persecution comes because it is an excellent moment to witness. When we live our lives differently, it is uh, easily seen when it's a hard time. 
We live this, I mean, you and I live this when our children are in the home. I mean, we've all heard our children say something, and we're like, oh, they heard that from me. It sounds horrible coming out of their mouth. So in the same way, you and I have to live our lives in the world so that as people watch us, as people see us hurt, as people see us being persecuted for our faith or going through a tough time, they're watching us. And here's what's amazing about it. In verse 12, he says, they see that, and then on the day of the Lord, they'll glorify him. The way that you act during a tough time can be the doorway that initially gravitates somebody to Jesus Christ. The way that I think, the way that I do life differently, and I'm going to talk some very specific ways today. And I'll be honest, in the first service, I didn't get a lot of amens. I got a lot of, oh. I mean, it's because it's, it's hard. And it's so countercultural today to live differently so that when we're going through tough times, people really do watch and people really do respond. Here's the idea. You are the only church some people will ever attend. You are the only Bible some people will ever read. You are the only Jesus some people will ever meet. They are watching, act accordingly, live out your faith, not just when things are going well, but during tough times. We have to do that because they will see that. And then in verse 12, they'll observe it and they will glorify God on the day he visits. So we're concerned not just with saving ourselves. We are concerned with those who do not know Christ because hardship is an opportunity to witness to them. Number two, verse 13, submit to every human authority because of the Lord whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those uh, sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor the everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. So the first exhortation is to honor and submit. Exhortation means urge to action. He's urging them not to think a certain way, but to do a certain thing. And the thing that he wants them to admit is first, submit to the authority. Don't just submit to the authority when there is someone making you do it. Let me give you an example. Every time I drive through Snyder, Texas, I slow down. If you've ever been to Snyder, Texas, it's a nice place to drive through. Uh, it really is. It's, it's, it is out in the middle. It's once you kind of really, truly get into West Texas, it is flat. If you're from Snyder, I'm sorry. It's ugly. It, it, it's just nothing there. Every once in a while, you think you see a tree in the distance, and you're like, oh, no, it's just an oil well. I mean, there's nothing there. And so uh, I've driven that road, I mean, a million times all the way back through college. And I have sped through, a, there's no telling how many times, until one day I met a nice officer, and he gave me a high-speed driving award. And uh, it cost me... <laughs> He did, man. I, I got to see a judge and everything. I, it, was, it was a big deal. And, uh, and so ever since then, I have slowed down. Now, I normally don't slow down in all of that trip because you know, it's all West Texas. And, and, but I do there. What, what's, what's interesting is there's speed limit signs all along the road that tell you. And the Bible says we should submit to the authority. We should submit to the speed limit. 
We should pay our taxes correctly. Some of you, you know, you're in trouble if you ever get audited because the IRS thinks you have 38 children. Uh, you're in trouble. And so we are to do what the authorities say that we are to do. We are to submit to them. Why? In verse 13, because of the Lord. We are to act differently in this world because of the Lord. We are to obey the laws of the land. Now, I don't know of any laws currently that ask us to uh, subjugate our Christian faith. I don't know of any laws that ask us to do something that is against the will of God. Uh, if that were ever to happen, then the, will of, the, the authority of Scripture uh, supersedes that. But I don't know of any. I, I mean, I've thought about it. I can't think of any. And so we're to submit ourselves to the will of, uh, to the will of God as proposed by the governors, by the emperor. That's what he says. We are to honor those. Now, he says this whole passage, I love how it boils down. He says in verse 17, honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. So I'm going to give you a homework this week. Honor everyone. I want you to pray to God, and I want you to just ask for something very simple. What are the people that you'll encounter this week that live or work in the most thankless or hard jobs? How can you honor them? Honor everyone. How can you find someone? There's, there's some jobs, mine is one of them. I, I get a lot of praise and thanks, but there are some jobs that don't, but people do it as unto the Lord, and we are to honor them. Think about that. How can you honor someone? I, I've been thinking about this knowing that my sermon is coming, and I have a plan. I really have a plan. Now, I would love to hear what you do just to encourage me. I love when people say, I actually did something with the sermon. Uh, so what I don't want you to do is put it out on your social media. Guess who did something nice for someone who's not very important? Me. All right, that's not what I'm saying, all right? We do it unto the Lord. And so, but I would love for you to just email me, text me, and just tell me, hey, this is what I did this week, and I honored someone uh, just like the Bible said. What can you do? There's, there's a way, there's someone that you will encounter this week that you really can't honor. And he says, he says uh, love the brothers and sisters. That's our relationship within the local church. We talked about that. We're going to talk about it again. Fear God. We've talked about that. We're going to talk about it again. But the one that I want to hit on is honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. This is an unbelievable statement. Peter does not know at this point uh, probably that the, the persecution is going to come from the emperor. It eventually does. The emperor is Nero. But he does know that Nero is a horrible emperor as far as godliness goes. Nero had his own mother murdered. All right, that, that just bad, no matter what. You know, I mean, it's just, and here's this man, he says, we honor the emperor. We honor them. Now, here's, here's the way I write it, because some people really get hung up on this. We honor the position, even if you don't respect the performance. Peter is not saying here, Nero is a good emperor. And I agree with everything that Nero did. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying Nero has been instituted by God to carry out the will of God. What? A godless person? Absolutely. In the book of Daniel, Daniel served under three godless kings. And Daniel says in Daniel chapter 4, verse uh, 32, the most high is the ruler over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to anyone he wants. Who's the ruler in that day? Nero. Why? Because God chose it. Because God uses it. And it has huge ramifications for us today. 
We are living in a time that is telling you that if you don't like the emperor, you can dishonor them. And I am here to tell you, according to the word of God, that's sin. Here's where it hit our community group last year. We had a whole discussion about this. I love our community group discussions because nobody treats me as pastor. Everyone treats me as Cody. And so sometimes they're like, I mean, I've had it happen more than once where, where people in our community group was like, I didn't really understand the sermon. And you're like, oh God. Yeah, I, yeah, I love it. I, I, I love that. Okay. Uh, they treat me as a real person. I love it. So, so we had a big discussion on uh, Let's Go Brandon last year. Big discussion. So if you're not, I know, so if you're not familiar, let me kind of catch you up. So uh, there's a car race, and the people in the stands are chanting bad things to Biden, right, bad words to Biden. Well, the, the uh, announcer or the commentator either, um, either hears it wrong or, or doesn't want people to know. So he thinks that the crowd is cheering on the winner, Brandon. So he says, he says, oh, they're saying, let's go, Brandon. That's not what they were saying. They were saying, boo, Biden, uh, right? I mean, like, okay, <laughs> I get it, right? And so everybody started picking up the phrase because you can say, let's go, Brandon. I can say it, and it, it's a euphemism. It's meant it, what you say and what you mean are very different. So people picked up. There were flags everywhere. There's in the yard. I mean, everywhere, let's go, Brandon. And we talked about this, this uh, verse right here, honor the emperor, that, that we are to honor those who are in charge within us. We are to honor the president. Listen, the people of God are the Israelites, but I would argue that the greatest country that's ever been instituted in the history of the world is the United States of America. We live in an amazing place. And who is in charge right now? The president of the United States. And who put him there? Daniel chapter 4, verse 32 says, God, God put our president in the White House. And if you voted for him, you're like, yay, and you want to clap. If you didn't, well, then we can go back one, and, and we can go back one, and we can go back one. I'm not saying that we agree with everything that he does. I'm saying we honor his position. We honor him as president. We, we, we bring that to bear within us. And so we can't do, we cannot uh, denigrate those who are uh, placed over in authority over us in any way and continue to live in the will of God. We must honor the president. You must honor the governor. That's really, that's, that's a good one in our, because we've got a Democrat in the White House and a Republican in the, in, uh, as our governor. And so one of the two of which you're not going to agree with, one of the two of which you didn't vote for, and it doesn't matter. We're to honor them because God put them where they are. We're to honor those who are in authority over us in all senses of the word. Now, Peter is telling them this, and this is the guy that is going to persecute them personally. This is the guy that is going to uh, persecute them and institute the persecution, and he doesn't go back and take this text away. He still says, we honor the emperor. So you and I can do no else besides submit to the authorities that God has placed us on and honor the emperor. That's exhortation number one. Exhortation number two is to suffer well. Suffer well. Verse 18. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and the gentle ones, but also to the cruel. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you about this verse. I almost didn't preach 1 Peter because of this verse. One verse. I almost didn't preach the entire book. 
Here's my concern. My concern is we are working to be an intentionally multi-ethnic church. And my concern was, is that the way I would come across in preaching this verse would not, my heart would not come across, because this verse is, if you read it for what it is, it can sound extremely harsh, can sound very harsh. Just submit even when they're cruel. And we hear that word slavery, and we might have people with, uh, in our congregation who have uh, some ancestry, some lineage with some family members who were, absolute, or who were actually in slavery, in pre-Civil War slavery. And so they hear me saying, oh, well, it's just God's will, you know, just, just suffer well along the way. And my, my concern was that we had worked so hard to reach such a diverse group, and we're getting better and better and better at it all the time. And people wouldn't hear my heart. And people wouldn't hear what this verse is actually saying. So let me explain to you how this verse plays out in our modern world. First of all, you've got to understand that biblical slavery and post or pre-Civil War slavery in America, not the same thing. Not the same thing at all. The, the ancient Roman world was built on slavery. Not saying it's right, we'll go into that in a second, but it was very much built on slavery. In a, in a city, about a third of the people would have been slaves. In any modern city in Rome, about a third of the people would have been slaves. But it wouldn't have been a slavery based on ethnicity. It was a slavery across different ethnicities. It was a slavery uh, that was not segregated in any way. Remember, he's writing a letter to the church, and he's, he's talking to all of the stratas of people here. He's going to talk to husbands next time and wives, and he's, now he's talking to slaves. They're all integrated within their society. There's no segregation in biblical days like there were, would be in pre-Civil War days in America. There, that, that didn't exist then. Also, most of the slaves within that day had a road to emancipation, had a road to freedom. They were also encouraged to get education. Most of the time, uh, the, the people who are the most educated within society, doctors and teachers, ship's captains, because of how hard it was to navigate, were slaves. And so it was a very different day. But the Bible was not saying in that day, oh, well, slavery is okay, we're, we're good with it. No, it's not what it's saying at all. But what we've heard and what we've used, and especially I think within the South in post-Civil War days, kind of in Jim Crow days, is people who were very much still racist using texts like this to denigrate a society of people. Whether people that were former slaves but had now been freed, whether people who were children of slaves or grandchildren or great-grandchildren of slaves, to basically say, well, you don't have all the freedoms everyone else has, but you should just be fine with that because the Bible says suffer well. Now, I want you to think about this, and this is the key to understanding this text correctly. If you were a person who had lived in slavery right then when this was written, and the Bible would have gone into a great dissertation about what it thinks about slavery, and the Bible would have said, you know what, we don't, we're, we're against slavery, we don't like slavery, and give you all of these biblical reasons, and, and everything about the, the worth of people and the image of God that they were created in. You would have read that text, and you would have thought, okay, I'm glad, but what does that matter to me right now? I'm still a slave. It wouldn't have been helpful. It wouldn't have been helpful at all. 
It would have been like, oh, great. And in fact, three, in around the year 300, Roman, uh, we're going to have a, our first uh, emperor who is a Christian. He's going to start ushering some changes into the Roman culture. And same way in, in England, uh, the person who was very much in charge, or very much uh, the person who's brought about the end of slavery in England, very much a Christian. In America, very much the people of God who brought an end to that. But for those of them who are suffering during that time, they want to know, okay, what about me? What does God think about me right now? And here's God's word. He's saying, I want you to suffer well. I have rich rewards for those who, even when they suffer, suffer unjustly for the cause of Jesus Christ. And it is a powerful statement when you understand God sees, just like his own people, the people of Israel who were enslaved for 430 years, and God said, I see you and I heard your cries, and you've called out to me, and he does something about it. Now, um, as I thought about how to present all of these things, I sat down, uh, I, I kind of did this in stages. So I sat down with a family first and, uh, and just picked their brain on some things to say and how they would think about a text like this. And then I sat down with a group of people last week uh, and did, did the same thing. And I asked that group of people, I said, uh, the, this first family, I said, uh, the wife said something that I found really, really powerful. And I asked th this, this group of, of people within our church, these people of color, I was like, can I say that? And every one of them said, Yes, you've got to say that. So here it goes. And, and I love this statement. So here was this lady, and she says, I have slavery within my background. She said, I have, I have uh, slavery within my ancestry. And she said, but my family and I, we have chosen that we don't view that chapter of our life. She said, that is not who we are, and that is not our story, and that is not where it began. She said, because if we talk about that we are, you know, are descended from former slaves, there's always that connotation of that's what God has chose for us. That's all that we have. And she said, that's not who we are. And I totally agree. If you have slavery uh, within your lineage or background, background, that might be a chapter, a dark, hard chapter of your life. But let me tell you who you are. Before God made the foundation of the world, he knew you, he saw you. God made you in every way, the way that you are so that you would reflect the image of God back to the world. In our church, we cannot see the full image of God until we have all of the people of the world here and present, all of the different ethnicities, all of the different races, all of the different genders, all of the different socioeconomic stratospheres, every kind of person, because God made you in his mind the way that you are so that you could show the world who he is. Your story did not begin in slavery. Your story began in the mind of Christ, and he has a word for you. He has a job for you. He he has a purpose for you. And most importantly, he loves you. His son died for you. Amen. That is who you are in Christ Jesus. And I believe it with all of my heart. And so, so this, this, she said this and I was like, oh, it was so freeing to, to be able to go through that. Now, here's the deal. Most of us, this, this text does not directly apply to us that we're not within slavery, but let's, let's put it into our context. A lot of us, in fact, most of us have had a really bad boss. I paused there to make sure that no staff member said amen because I was going to fire them. All right? <laughs> that was a test. Stephen, Josh, you passed. All right, there you go. So most of us have had a bad boss. Most of us have had an unf unfair situation somehow. 
And that's okay, or, and it's not okay, but the Bible says God sees that. And even when we suffer unjustly, there's a reward for that. And, and when we don't suffer well, when we deserve the suffering that's on us because we sin, or when we don't suffer well under that, then we miss out on the opportunity that God has given us. So I wrote, it's not unchristian to suffer. It is not unchristian to suffer. We have been told many times over the years that God wants to save you so that you can be healthy and wealthy, beautiful and prosperous, everything that can go your way, and it is a lie. It is not true. It is absolutely not true. It is selling the gospel of Jesus Christ short to say that the, the, the rewards come in this life as opposed to the life to come. No, we suffer many times in this life for the rewards to come. So it's not unchristian if we suffer. So why do we suffer? Let's look at motivation in verse 19 and 20. It brings favor. What? It unsuffering unjustly brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you do wrong, you are beaten, you endure it. But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. Two times in there, he says the motivation, we, it brings the favor of God. And how do we know? Because he sees us. Here's the motivation. The world is watching us, but so is God. So is Jesus Christ. He is watching how you act right now. He is watching with, even within the thoughts of your mind, how you respond to his word. So we are doing this and we suffer this way. And he says in there, we become God's slaves. We become God's slaves. See, there was a type of slavery in the ancient world, indentured servitude, where you could serve to, to maybe make some money uh, for a period of time. But then you could, many times people would choose, willingly choose to serve uh, their master afterwards. Because in seven years, you're going to get to see all of their life. You're going to see their true character. You know, when we, when we date, your dating is made to kind of hide some of the bad points. But, you know, you, about the first week of living together, you're like, oh, something new. All right, so, so, so same way. You, you serve somebody for seven years, you're going to see how they truly are. But then what was interesting in the ancient world, many people would choose to become lifelong slaves to someone because they saw that their master was good that their master was just, that their master cared about them, and they would willingly put themselves into slavery. And you and I, all of us are called, the Bible says, to taste and see that the Lord is good and to lay our lives down before Jesus and say, I choose to be your slave. I choose you to be my master. I choose to follow you. You are good. Help me even when I'm suffering. Now, let's look at verse 21, the foundation for all of this. The foundation is the story of Christ. Verse 21, for you were called to this because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed what is the example that christ said is the foundation of it and that jesus understands our suffering even when it is unjust 
Jesus is the model for unjust suffering. He lived a perfect life, but he died a cruel death on the cross. And even when he was suffering unjustly, the Bible says he didn't respond. He didn't threaten back. I mean, think about it. Here's our Lord who's been up all night. He's been tortured multiple times. He is now on a cross in the hot noon sun. People are literally spitting at him, are ridiculing him, would throw things at them. And yet we find when people spat at him, aren't you glad that we don't read and Jesus spat back? He didn't. He didn't spit back at them. He looked at them and said, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Jesus is the ultimate example of suffering unjustly. You and I, we learn how to go through that period of our life. We learn from him as our foundation, from the story of his suffering as our foundation. And the cross will change us. Peter is writing this text, and I find it really interesting that Peter's writing this text. Let's think about Peter for a second. Let's think about his different interactions with the cross. The first interaction that Jesus had, or excuse me, Peter has with Jesus about the cross, Jesus says, I'm going up to Jerusalem and the Gentiles will take me and they will beat me and they will crucify me and I will rise on the third day. And Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. And he says, no, 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 you're not gonna suffer. He understands, okay, if you're the king, if you're the master and you suffer, then I'm the slave, I suffer. You're not suffering, Jesus. I cannot allow you to suffer. The Bible says he rebukes him. And so what happens? Jesus comes back and says, get away from me, Satan. You do not have my, my idea in mind. You do not have me in mind. So the very first interaction with Jesus on the, or with Peter about the cross, Peter doesn't want any suffering. Peter doesn't want Jesus to suffer, so he doesn't have to suffer. And then the second interaction is the night before Jesus dies. Peter's uh, sitting around the courtyard. Jesus is already being tortured several times. And Peter goes up to his fire to warm, warm himself by the fire. And he didn't, he didn't want Jesus to suffer, but he's sitting there and all of a sudden he realizes, okay, Jesus is going to suffer. He's already been under one trial. He's going under another one. He's already uh, bruised and bloodied. And so he knows that Jesus is going to suffer. But then what happens? A little slave girl comes up to Peter and says, weren't you with the Nazarene? And he denies Jesus. Peter is willing to say, okay, Jesus is going to suffer, but there's no way that I'm going to suffer. In fact, I'll just denounce him totally. I will just tell that I've never even met him, let alone be a follower of his, because he's suffering and I don't want to, and I can't have this. And so the second interaction with the cross, Jesus, or Peter once again denies and turns away. But the third interaction with the cross is when Peter actually saw Jesus crucified. And then the Bible says at the end of Mark that the Bible, Jesus said, go tell the disciples and Peter that I have risen from the dead. And all of a sudden, boom, he understands. Oh, the suffering of Christ brings about the resurrection that he has in his life. The suffering on this life, whether just or unjust, the righteousness of Christ is given to me, and my rewards aren't a good life here. My rewards are resurrection and an eternity with him. And so now Peter can tell these new people, you must suffer so that you can experience the resurrection. You must be willing to go through hardship and persecution so that you can come out of the other side and experience the resurrection. It's only with crucifixion that we get the resurrection. 
We have to be willing to suffer alongside of Jesus as our example. Why? So by his wounds, we can be healed. We are more and more believing a lie in our nation and in the world that we can be healed by a certain amount of money or a certain job or a certain lifestyle or a certain reputation or a certain amount of all of those things that lead us to comfort in this life. And the Bible says the only healing comes from Jesus Christ as Lord. There are good things that God gives us in many of those things, but the only healing is by the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So what's our application today? Verse 25. For you were like sheep and you were gone astray, but now you have returned to what? To the shepherd and the overseers of your souls. Jesus says you are like ones who have gone astray, but now you are like the ones who have come back in. And now I'm a shepherd who's going to lead you, but I'm also an overseer that takes you where you want to go. Lord, may it be so in our lives. I'm going to invite you to pray right where you are with me today to apply this text to your life. I find it easy to have a kind of a short period of time to, to see this, this sermon in action. So let's think about the last seven days. Let's think about the last week of your life, just the last week. The condition is, is that people are watching. The condition is, is that even God is watching. How have your words been? How have your actions been? How's your thought been? People are watching. The next is an exhortation to submit. Have you submitted to the authority that God has placed over you? Have you honored everyone around you? Not just the emperor, or not just your boss, but everyone. People who are peers, people who are subordinates. Have you honored everyone? Or have you submitted to that and honored them? The next exhortation is to suffer well. When bad times come, when hard times come, do you immediately go to God with an attitude of blame as if he was supposed to give you a good and easy life? It's okay to pray to him to end the suffering. That's not, that's not wrong. But I think that me included most of the time when bad times come, I am, I'm so taken aback by it because I wasn't planned for it that my initial reaction can be, God... I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Why are you doing this? And Jesus says, you will suffer, even sometimes unjustly. But I have favor on those who suffer well for my name. I have favor on those who have difficult situations yet continue to be honorable in the way that they conduct themselves in the world. Who's the ultimate example? Jesus, who laid on a cross willingly, who suffered so that by his wounds we could be healed. Today, if you've never been healed by the power of Jesus Christ, 
your life might get a little bit better by a situational change, but you will never be healed apart from the wounds of Jesus Christ, ever, ever. He is the medicine for your soul. So today, if you would look at him and say, taste and see that the Lord is good, and you would willingly bow your knee and you would look up at him and say, you are my master. I am your slave. I've seen how good you are. I've seen myself when I'm not with you. Take me. For the very last, um, the very last time that Peter saw the cross was on the day of resurrection when Jesus says, go tell the disciples and Peter that I am alive. Today, if you would like to have Jesus be the master of your life, if you would like to willingly be a slave to him, then you need to understand not only did he die for you, but he was resurrected so that you can have a picture of what life is to come. That he will resurrect those of us who are in Christ Jesus at the end of time. Today you can pray to have Jesus become the Lord, the master of your life. Today you need, if you need to, confess to him and say, Lord, I'm living in a world where people are watching me, but I act like everyone else. I say the things that others say. I do the things that others do. I don't think that people that are watching me can tell I'm a Christian. It is a wonderful time, and this is a wonderful text for you to repent of that and say, God, help me to live differently by your spirit that empowers me, by your Bible that guides me, by your church that encourages me. Help me as I go into a world, God, to be an honorable slave of the master, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship today. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church slash give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.